In the name of God, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to be here at Christ Church Georgetown. For those I've not had a chance to greet personally today, I am Marianne Buddy and privileged beyond measure to serve as the bishop of this diocese. I am a great admirer of Christ Church and privileged to work alongside many of your leaders, both lay and ordained, and praying actively with and for you as you uh, discern your next spiritual leader. I also want to welcome all those who are here on behalf of Caroline and her baptism. It's on behalf of the congregation we are delighted to be sharing this moment with you. And, uh, and she looks very content at the moment in the arms of her godfather. <laughs> One day last summer I was doing chores around the house and half listening, as I often do, to public radio. But within minutes, I dropped whatever it was I was doing, sat down at the kitchen counter with a notebook, and wrote down as fast as I could what I was hearing on the radio. Um, And later, I looked up the same program online, and I listened to it again, and I listened to it again. I think I've listened to it five or six times since then. The program was a broadcast from the Aspen Ideas Festival. The speaker was New York Times columnist David Brooks, His topic, the road to depth, thinking about what character is. I learned on the Ideas Festival website that he had given a similar lecture the year before, which was entitled, The Inverse Logic of Life. And he has now, as I'm sure you know, um, published a book exploring in greater detail the material of both of those lectured, which is entitled, The Road to Character, and you may have seen his piece in the Sunday Times Magazine a few weeks ago, same ideas called the moral bucket list. Well, in his introduction to all of these pieces, he references a work by a rabbi, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, book written in the 1960s called The Lonely Man of Faith, in which Soloveitchik, drawing now upon the two distinct accounts of creation in the book of Genesis, highlights a fundamental and irreconcilable tension in our nature as human beings, which he calls Adam 1, from the first story of creation, and Adam 2, the second. And modernizing Soloveitchik's theory, um, Adam Brooks calls Adam 1, resume Adam, the externally focused, ambitious, goal-driven, career-oriented side of our nature, embodying and pursuing all those things that we proudly put on our resumes. Conversely, Adam 2 is the eulogy, Adam, which is to say our moral compass, the part of ourselves that seeks depth and character and all the virtues we hope to be said about us when we die. Eulogy, Adam, seeks not only to do good things in the world, but to be a good person, fundamentally a good person, to love intimately, to sacrifice self in the service of others, to live in obedience to some transcendent truth, and to have a cohesive inner soul that honors creation and one's own possibilities. And Brooks believes, as as do I and most people, and certainly most people of faith, that while both sets of virtues are important, that ultimately eulogy virtues would rank higher than resume virtues. But you wouldn't know it by the way we organize our lives. 
we live in a world and we spend most of our time, as Americans certainly, uh, nurturing, cultivating, celebrating, um, inculcating into our children the values of Adam one to the neglect of Adam two. And perhaps for good reason, um, Adam one is about strength and highlighting your strengths and promoting yourself. Adam two involves confronting your weaknesses and your failings and the things you learn on the road to hardship. And one of the things that I think the part that grabbed me so viscerally when I was listening last summer was this piece when he talked about the people who, who cultivate their moral compass typically have inside them all of their lives one defining struggle internally that may not even be recognized to other people but is the defining struggle of their life. And it is in service to that struggle, whatever it may be, that that moral side of them grows and is nurtured. And these people are the people, in the end, we'd all rather spend time with because of who they are and how we feel in their presence. And we, we want to be like them. If only we could avoid the pain that they go through to develop their character. But that's not possible. It was uh, Brian McLaren who once said, you can't exactly take an epidural to ease the pain of giving birth to your character. And in a particularly um, compelling chapter, Brooks has a, which is called The Summoned Self, Brooks describes the contrast between a life that's organized around one's individual passions and interests and sense, and sense of purpose, all the things that wind up in commencement addresses, and a life that is summoned by an external reality beyond one's control. Um, and that question isn't so much, what do I want to do with my life, but rather, what does life need from me right now? What is my circumstance calling me to do? Which is not to say that what we want is unimportant, but that there's another question that comes at us from the world itself. And for me, I have to say that question often takes the form of, okay, what's on my watch? You know, I didn't ask for this. I wouldn't have chosen this particular set of circumstances. This, but if it's on my watch, here I am. What am I going to do in this place, from this circumstance, for the greater good? Now, going back, um, back into our scripture text for a moment. In the Gospel of John, um, you find, we find, all the passages that Jesus speaks that... Um, that are in the first person. He sounds a bit like Adam 1 here. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. Now this is language you only find in this one gospel and it is strikingly different 
from the way Jesus describes, talks about himself in the other three Gospels, which is not at all. He does not refer to himself in the other Gospels. In fact, he always refers to himself in the third person, the Son of Man. And when he talks, he's always pointing toward the kingdom of heaven. In those Gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven that's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds that grows into the largest bush. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman takes and mixes with three measures of flour until all the bread is leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, like the pearl of great price. And rather than saying that he was the light of the world, he would say, no, you are the light of the world. City on a hill can't be hid. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be restored? Now, this contrast is a little striking, and for some, jarring, because Jesus sounds so different, depending on which book you happen to open. Jesus 1, Jesus 2, or the passage of time, the passage of time, All of the kingdom of God, Jesus pointing to God stories are the embedded memory, the recorded stories of Jesus of Nazareth when he was alive. I am statements come from a later articulation of people who have come to know the risen Christ as their primary point of entry into this relationship with God through Christ as we do, and Jesus himself becomes the way, the truth, the life, the shepherd. And why did this transition happen? Because of the way he died. Because of the suffering he took on with such dignity and grace and power and forgiveness and how God raised him to a new life afterwards, and he became the way, the portal. He became a trustworthy vision and embodiment and path to God. Now, Jesus of Nazareth was no more a shepherd than you and I are. He was first a carpenter, and then he was a rabbi. But to a world of sheep and shepherds, to say, I am the good shepherd, the model shepherd, is to say, if you need to go down a difficult road, he's trustworthy. You can trust him. If you are on your road to character, if you are being asked by your life to do things that you would not choose, if you are being called upon to be more than you can be, Jesus is your trustworthy guide because he laid down his life for you and for me. He can be trusted when we must walk that walk because he walked it before us. And he shows us the way and he tells us that we need not fear the path of hardship and suffering that actually builds us into Christ-like beings, 
because he walked it first and he walks it with us now. And so when you hear his voice calling your name on that difficult path, the challenging path, the path that will make you more of who you are and more like him, you can trust it because he laid down his life for you. Christ Church, you have just completed your parish profile. You've just completed your, your resume. And there are clergy who are making their way toward you, one of whom who will be your future spiritual leader, and they are completing their resumes. All the things about you and about him or her that are your strengths, your capacity, your identities, what you want, what he or she wants. It's all very important. And then there is this deeper truth, which is the path to which God is calling you, a path of character, a path of Christ-like sacrifice and modeling in the world, a path that embodies the best of who you are called to be and who Jesus is calling you to become, a path that will say less about how great Christ Church is and how great your new priest is, but how you walk the path of Jesus in sacrifice and love and service and character. And I know you know that, and I trust that person who will be your leader knows that. But remember that the path of faithfulness in our lives and in this church is often the path that we wouldn't necessarily choose, but is being asked of us and that Jesus will guide us there. He can be trusted. You are called to become a church that embodies him, and, um, and you will raise up young children like Caroline to live the life that she's called to live in a way that says that the suffering she embodies is not something she will fear. So I... Um, I wish you and pray for you every good thing, all that your heart desires. But when the path leads you to where life asks you to go, trust the voice that calls you there and the one who lays down his life for us all. Amen.